Welcome to the Narrators Podcast. I'm Robert Rutherford. And I'm Andrew Orvidal. This podcast collects stories that were told at the Narrators, a monthly storytelling event that features people telling true stories based on a theme. The show takes place on the third Thursday of every month at the Deer Pile in Denver, Colorado. These stories were taken from a show that was recorded on January 17th. 2013, the theme of the show was Adults Only. All right, our next storyteller is, she holds maybe the record for having been on the show more than any other person in the history of the narrators. Uh, She's an amazing playwright, an amazing writer, and that's why we keep having her back. Please welcome Ellen K. Graham. One day when I was in the fourth grade, I finished my lunch and joined a girl named Megan on the playground at Bradley Elementary School. It was a warm day, and we sat in the shade on the south side of the playground, facing Plum Street. I don't know whether he called us or we saw him first and sensing something fascinating moved closer, but somehow we ended up at the fence, shoulder to shoulder, fingers hooked through the chain link, looking at the man parked across the street. He opened the driver's side door. We watched, rapt, as he unzipped his pants and pulled out his penis. Though the skin on his face and hands was dark, his penis was a lurid, cotton candy pink, or that's how I remember it. Watching us watching him, he grunted and chuffed as he manipulated himself. Eventually, his pathetic animal grunting was too much, and we dissolved into laughter. We laughed and laughed, and then the bell rang. We went back into the building. We were not scared. We were not harmed. We felt safe behind our fence. We told no one. I was not completely ignorant. I had learned the basic facts about human reproduction, mostly from a book that my parents bought for me and my older sister called, Where Did I Come From? (laughs) That featured chubby, smiling cartoon people rolling around on sofas and one memorable image of some sperm smiling ingratiatingly at an appraising egg. I'm guessing our parents bought us the book, hoping we would ask no questions, and that strategy mostly worked, except on one occasion. My older sister had bought a copy of Forever by Judy Bloom. I plowed through the book dutifully, mostly because I knew it had been widely banned. All I really remember about it is that the sometime boyfriend of the female protagonist nicknames his penis Ralph, and the title ends up being ironic. As I was reading, I came across a sentence that read something like, There were always used rubbers lying in the street. I read the sentence several times. Then the preceding paragraph, no clues. So I did what I always did in such circumstances. I went to consult the massive unabridged dictionary that sat on a special swiveling stand in my father's study. My father was sitting in his easy chair grading papers. I flipped to rubber and read the first several definitions. None of them shed any light on the mysterious sentence. Finally, I turned to my father and asked, what does rubber mean? He put down his legal pad and cleared his throat and said, could you give me the context, please? (laughs) I did. Another pause. Finally, he said, a a rubber is a sheath placed over the male member. (laughs) I waited. The male member of what? After a moment, I said, oh, thanks, and I left the study. I'd also endured at least one session of a school-mandated sex education, wherein the school nurse terrified us with a demonstration of a belted maxi pad that resembled a chastity belt and reassured us that only the four H's had to worry about AIDS. 
homosexuals, people from Haiti, heroin addicts, and hemophiliacs. None of these nuggets of information had any bearing on the incident in the playground. I might as well have known nothing. Insert penis into the vagina, like inserting a punch card into a time clock. Put a rubber sheath on the male member for some reason. Drive to an elementary school and sit in your car until the girls come outside and move over to the fence. The apparent utter pointlessness of these tasks to my child mind said something profoundly depressing about adulthood. About 20 years after the playground incident, I was having a drink at the Thin Man. As I was talking with my friend, I became aware of someone looming next to me, a bright grinning presence in my peripheral vision. Finally, I turned and faced an unremarkable clean-cut man. With a death's head grin, he said, I like your shoes. I was wearing unremarkable red flats. Thanks, I said. He walked away. About an hour later, as he and his friend were leaving the bar, he approached me again. He said, I really like those shoes. Yeah, so you said. Thanks. An awkward pause. They're really comfortable. At that point, he knelt down on the floor of the bar, and before I knew it, he seized my shoe in the underside of the arch and ran his tongue hard down the length of my foot. In that revoltingly protracted moment, I was acutely aware that the tongue is a muscle. <laughs> so yeah, pretty profoundly depressing. But of course, just as the school nurse had predicted, hormones did eventually descend, blah, blah, and I started to see the merit in soap operas and my grandmother's Harlequin romance novels, which I read voraciously. As a diehard Laura Ingalls Wilder fan, I knew something about breaking horses, and these romances invariably involved something similar. All the female protagonists were feisty, saucy, all those fucking dreadful adjectives that had nothing to do with my cold and watchful self. When I eventually graduated to softcore porn, as exemplified by Cinemax's infamous Friday Nights After Dark, another intolerable archetype was introduced, the funny sex movie, like Bikini Car Wash or those European bedroom farces dubbed badly into English. Sex was extremely not funny to me. I was in the process of trying to parse it like an archaeologist poring over a mysterious text, and the images of mustached pensioners chasing buxom froyleins through ski chalets seemed like sacrilege. Even, even the wooden dialogue and mechanical thrusting of hardcore porn, which I eventually experienced at the age of 17 via the coin-operated booths at Kitties, seemed more dignified than the funny movies. Adulthood was the room behind the velvet rope, and sex was my way in. I think my ravenous consumption of images and words was to try to trigger something in myself, to make me feel the right way, to figure out who I needed to be in order to have sex with someone. Sadly, like a lot of Gen X girls, I learned all I needed to be was drunk. Yeah. A drunk among drunks. All those years of clumsy grasping the bored breathing in of alcoholic breath, thinking that pleasure was inevitable, that it would come naturally somehow, the way the sperm make their industrious swim toward the waiting egg. But it doesn't. It took years for me to discover the yawning gulf between the thrashing, shrieking histrionics of the porn ladies and me. Those years of field work were sort of like the clinical rotations medical students do, where you begin to sharpen your skills and specialize. I realized that silence, deliberation, holding your breath, and being as still as possible can be scorching, fucking white hot. <laughs> Even for the cold and watchful, there's a place behind the velvet rope. I was in. I knew my transformation was complete when I found myself with my husband of five years in the audience of a live sex show in Amsterdam. 
We laughed and laughed at the antics of the hard-working performers, including one woman's somber striptease to automatic by the Pointer Sisters and a couple's diligent exertions on a giant revolving bed. Sex had become simple in the best way, a welcome reprieve from the Byzantine quarters of bullshit that comprised 21st century life. I had become one of those giggling middle-aged cartoon ladies, and where did I come from? A barrel-chested burger pinching the chambermaid's ass. And so, the end game. When we woke up this past Tuesday morning, the temperature in our house was 56 degrees and falling. Broken furnace. Repairman Mike arrived a few hours later. He fixed the furnace, broken igniter, $421, then summoned us down to the basement. He demonstrated how the needle on his carbon monoxide detector jumped when he held it up to the blue flames inside the furnace and told us that no carbon monoxide is being distributed through the vents yet. This furnace was not meant to last 20 years. It has outlived its life expectancy. If you want a new furnace, I can put it in for you today. And when we said no, we can't afford a $6,000 furnace today. I looked at the bovine face of Mike the repairman, his concerned blue eyes, and saw reflected in them our three bodies, four if you count the cat, lying dead, peacefully at least, all crammed into the queen-size bed where we all end up most winter nights. This interaction with Mike the repairman and others like it opened the door of the secret back room behind the dazzling foyer behind the velvet rope where adults spend most of our time when we're not fucking and drinking and luxuriating in bathtubs of cash, the, 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 the place of constantly daily wrestling matches among competing facts, wants, fears, the desire to protect yourself and your family at all costs, the financial and practical impossibility of doing so, the awareness of aggressive and manipulative sales tactics, the, un, the unrelenting march of decisions large and small, the consuming worry that the potential consequences of those decisions, the awareness that you're a ridiculous person for thinking you can control the universe, control anything, the knowledge that compared with most of your fellow earthlings, you are lucky, the knowledge that the worst things happen, they do, the very worst things. Our four-year-old son is now a student at Bradley Elementary School. I take him there a few days a week. We walk down the sidewalk adjacent to that south fence facing Plum Street. He runs ahead. He meets up with his friend Meher, and they run in deranged circles round and round a vortex of animal energy. He seizes her by the neck. She punches him in the stomach. They shriek with laughter. Sometimes I get sad thinking how short childhood is, but that's an adult feeling. I walk by that fence and think of my nine-year-old self peering out through the chain link, waiting breathlessly for the door to open. Uh, our next storyteller is a member of the Fine Gentlemen's Club. Uh, they are our Deer Pile compatriots. They have a show here every Wednesday night called Too Much Fun. Please welcome Chris Charpentier. Hello, everybody. How are we doing? Everybody good? Good. I, uh, I'm going to tell two, two stories. Uh, first, I just turned 30 over the weekend. Uh, thank you. Thank you. I'm, so I'm officially an adult adult. I know you turned at 21, you become an adult. But 30, you're like, all right, you're an adult now. You know what I mean? Uh, so I decided to celebrate my 30th the same way I've celebrated most of my birthdays, which is by doing drugs. And and I, I did drugs before I went out, and then while I was out, uh, I did some stand-up, which was really fun. And, <laughs> and then I did some more drugs, which was also fun. 
Uh, and then I did, I've had, at some point, I was like, I've had enough drugs. I need to go, I need to go home. Uh, and it was early still. It was only, it was like before midnight that I was home. Uh, and I, I got home and I was outside having a cigarette. I was fine. I was talking to my roommate. We were talking about whatever. And, uh, and then I like lost my balance and started to like fall forward. And I never lose my balance. I'm, it's a sharpened to your trademark. We have very, we have very good balance. And I, this does not happen to me. So I was like, what the? And my roommate was like, what? Are you all right? And I was like, yeah, maybe I should. And then I woke up to him being like, dude, dude. And, you know, and kind of, I apparently had passed out and knocked myself out on the concrete in front of our house. Um, so I had heard that, you know, your body goes through changes when you get into your, th when you get into your 30s. Uh, but I didn't think it was going to be the day that you turn 30. Like, you can't do drugs anymore. That was it. I've done, I've done adult things for well over half of my life already. So maybe it's time to hang them up. But I won't. So don't worry. I'll have more stories. Anyway, um, I also thought about this when I asked to do the show. I was like, oh, I have so many adult-themed stories. And I also realized that I've told them all already on this show for different themes. They're just... All of my stories are adult-themed, so I had to dig one for one, but I found one. Uh, so I uh, went to Las Vegas for a friend's bachelor party, and uh, I bought a lot of drugs with me. And um, it's, it's a thing. And, uh, and there, there was like eight of us going. I figured there was going to be a few people that didn't want to do uh, drugs, so there was gonna be, I was going to be probably splitting my drugs with like six or maybe hopefully five people. Uh, right? So I, bought, I brought enough drugs for five people. And um, it turns out it was me and one guy that wanted to do drugs. <laughs> uh, and uh, I went, all the, peop all the people that I went with, big sports fans. Uh, so we went, not only was it the bachelor party, but it was also the beginning of the uh, final four, the NCAA, whatever, basketball tournament. So we went there to bet on basketball games. And, uh, and to celebrate my friend getting, wedding, uh, getting married. So uh, we were there for like five days, which is way too long to be in Las Vegas, by the way. Uh, and since it was only me and this other guy that wanted to do drugs, we decided to just wait till the last day to do them because that's not going to – we don't want to be the only people on drugs around people that aren't doing drugs. That's not fun. Uh, so by the time that day came around, I had lost all my money betting on basketball because I know nothing about basketball. <laughs> <laughs> Not a thing. I lost all my money betting on, like, that team looks cool. Uh, you know, things like that. And I lost all my money. So uh, by the last day, I literally had $20 left, and that was it. And my mission was to not spend that money because I just didn't, you know, I wanted to leave there with some money. And uh, so we decided to eat these drugs, me and my friend. And uh, even though I brought enough for five, we decided to just do them all, uh, he and I. And I have... I've, I do drugs well, and I have a very high tolerance. My friend does not. And uh, I've, we figured out right away that he should not have done as many drugs as he did. Uh, so everybody that we were with that didn't do drugs left. They were like, screw you guys. We're going to go to the strip club at, like, blank time. Just meet us there, all right? Do whatever you want until then. That's the eventual plan. You guys are, like, too fucked up. So now I'm in charge. I had, by the way... This was too many drugs for me as well. I just kind of knew what I was doing a little bit. I was walking and puking 
like I was in that situation and I was in charge. I was doing, I was doing well, like a lot better than the other guy, a lot better. And it was a bad scene. So I, uh, so I, we walked for as long as we could. I was trying so hard to just get him to our hotel so I could just get him into the room and then leave, <laughs> leave him alone. And uh, it took a long, and then we eventually had to get into a cab because he started getting crazy, real crazy, and we couldn't walk anymore. Uh, it, was not, it was getting serious. I was like, we were probably going to get arrested in Las Vegas, which is almost impossible. So we, we were doing really bad. So, uh, so I got him in a cab. We got, we got to the hotel. The first thing that he did when we got into the hotel is he walked immediately to the bar uh, and got a Long Island iced tea. And I was like, Jesus Christ. You've got to be kidding me. And he brought that upstairs to the room. And this was like the best he had been. This is like he was doing really good somehow. He had managed to like order this drink on his own. And the guy gave it to him. I was like, unbelievable. This, there's no way this is happening. And then he made it up to the room. And he just set the drink down and immediately passed out on the, ta on the bed. I was like, yes, I'm out of here. I'm going to that strip club to meet my friends and to celebrate. You know, this is like the one thing that I actually went to do was the bachelor party thing. I didn't really give a shit about the basketball. I've lost my money, whatever. So this is like the one thing that I was going to do. Uh, I got to the strip club, which was the world's biggest strip club. Uh, by the way, it's called the Oasis. And uh, it's really weird. It's not set up like the normal strip club uh, where you, there's girls on tables. This one is just a massive place where you just sit down and girls just walk around and you pick them out and then they give you a lap dance right where you are and in front of everybody. It's very weird. And it's an awkward scene. Uh, so we, <laughs> when I went into the place, and you, it is so packed, you have to like reserve a table. And we did not know this, but because I'm good at generate type things, like getting drugs from strangers and things like that, I was able to score a table pretty quickly. And uh, so we were able to sit down, and we were there for a long time, and I still had that 20 bucks. And so my plan now at this point was I'm just going to get a lap dance at the end of the evening like the very last thing that we do, that's how I'm going to spend my 20 bucks. This is going to be great, you know? What a good way to end my deal. And uh, also, by the way, I had done a lot of Molly. That was part of a lot of the drugs I had done. I don't know if you guys have done uh, Molly, but it makes you pretty horny. And uh, side note, that it's my least favorite word in the English language, and I hate that I had to use it, but there's no other word to describe how I felt. All right? It was awful. Um, I don't like strip clubs. I did not enjoy being there. I was extremely horny, and I had $20. Uh, so I, I picked out my girl early. She was a babe. She was wearing a little army shirt that barely covered her boobs. Walked her, I, she, was a, she was an 11, right? So it was nice. And I was like, that's the chick once time comes. And fine did, it finally did come. My friends had spent... You know, their money, one guy was, like, kind of passing out. We were throwing cigarettes at him. It was kind of fun. Uh, but it was clearly it was about time to go. So I was like, I'm going to go get that lap dance or pick out the girl or whatever. So I did. I got her, and she came over to me, and uh, it was go time. And I was like, let's, you know, 20 bucks. This is great. Here we go. Put it on the table, and she, you know, does her little thing, gets ready, does whatever, you know. And then she, like, kind of grinds up on me, has her arms over the my, you know, the deal. And, if, in my <laughs> and somebody uh, in a suit comes up and taps her on the shoulder and then whispers something into her ear. And she says, oh, shit. 
And I'm like, what's up? And she says, a 49er player just walked in. So, and then like grinded me again and then took my $20 and turned around <laughs> and went to literally the next table over. I got a 45 second lap dance. It was awful. <laughs> and within seconds, this dude had like 12 girls lined up. <clears throat> I don't know if you, look, getting like, <laughs> getting like stood up from a girl or getting like to second base with a girl when you expect it to go further is one thing. It's frustrating, but it's acceptable, you know? I'm a, I'm a gentleman, it's like, hey, they didn't want to do that, that's fine. But not getting it from a fucking stripper, all right, when you're in the state that I was in, extremely horny, it was not good. I'm surprised I didn't wake up my passed out roommate when I got home with my furious masturbating, is all I'm going to say. Thank you guys so much. The Narrators Podcast is recorded and produced by the Denver Diatribe. Check out their weekly show at denverdiatribe.com. The Narrators Podcast is brought to you by these amazing sponsors. The great guys at Illegal Pete's and Greater Than Records, who in addition to providing rad burritos all over town, provide great local music and comedy. Check out the appropriately named Sexy Pizza at either of their locations in Capitol Hill or Old South Pearl. Or on their website, sexypizzaonline.com. And finally, by the internet superheroes at Commerce Kitchen, who provide internet marketing solutions and search engine optimization for all your e-commerce needs. Check them out at commercekitchen.com. For more information about the narrators and to listen to past episodes, go to the narratorspodcast.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>